Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Good morning, online church. So nice to have you. Can we just like appreciate our online church for a moment? You know, I feel like there's a mom or a dad home with a sick kid today, and you really wish you were here, but you're like, this is where I'm at. I'm so glad you're with us. You know, families that are not here in the room but are joining us online, we just, we love you. We, we feel that you're here, and I just think it's important that we, we don't forget that people are still part of this family, even though they might not be in the room this morning. They're joining us, and they're tracking with us, and it's such a privilege to be with you today um, and have the opportunity to carry on in our series in James. Be better. We are in week seven, I think. Yeah. We looked at temptation. It was really good, wasn't it? We looked at trials. We looked at listening to the word, favoritism, faith in deeds. Last week, we looked at our words. James is so practical (laughs) and crystal clear. I feel that I'm really enjoying that every week there's something to put into practice. But although practical, it hasn't been like really heavily like spiritual to-do list vibe. Like it's been like, oh, he gives us something really sharp and practical, but then he wraps it in this awesome instruction that points back to like the good news of the gospel and how much Jesus loves us. And so I just think that this series is... It's one of my faves. I'm really enjoying it. Anyway, if you've missed any of the past weeks, I do encourage you to catch up. Um, I mean, I always think that you should be here on a Sunday, but sometimes that's not always practical. Sometimes we miss something. Um, Download the podcast, watch the YouTube, throw it on while you're driving, throw it on while you're doing your dishes. Um, Don't miss out because it all flows and God is doing something something incredible um, in our family. And I'm so honored today to follow on. We're jumping actually to chapter four this morning. We're heading to verse 13. Let's read together. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go do this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast of your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word. I thank you for the opportunity that it has to sharpen us, to teach us and instruct us. I thank you that it's living and breathing. I thank you that you are here in our midst and that you care for us individually, that you know us personally. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you lead and guide us. And so we welcome you into this place. 
We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to speak clearly. We pray that distractions and the things that the enemy would try to say this morning would not be heard, but it would be your voice clearly. We love you, Jesus, and we give you honor this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we haven't met personally yet, um, my name is Kelsey and I would love to meet you, but we are about to become really close friends because I'm going to make like a good public confession here this morning. Um, But I kind of like to be in control. (laughs) Thanks. But I think, in my public confession, that many people in the room also like to be in control. Jason. Yeah. You know, sometimes we make this sound nice. We chalk it up to, like, personality or, like, our Enneagram numbers. I don't even know if I say that right because I don't even know if it's, like, an 8 or a 2 or a 36 or whatever it is. Like, I don't don't know. Um, But we, we sometimes like to call it different things. Some of us naturally like to take control, but it is our human nature. It is our human nature to kind of like get our own way, right? We aren't, sorry, aren't we all filled with that human instinct to get our own needs met? Early on in life, this is like so clear. I have three kids. They've all been toddlers and that's just a really fun stage so if you're in it I love you Um, but I'm really glad I'm not Um, so early in life what's one of the first lessons we teach kids you know to share one of the first words that is in our vocabulary is like it's mine we like we take it we grow and we learn you know we we instruct children that this selfish nature isn't always going to serve us well our worldview grows and our selfish nature and our need for that control kind of gets us in trouble if we're not careful but if you fast forward that example 20 30 years and someone is trying to get a job and they're fighting to get this position that they really really want we kind of celebrate them, don't we? It's like, oh, you're a shark. You're going after your dreams. Like you're, you're taking control. You're being your own advocate. But isn't the motivation of the heart the exact same? We want what we want, and we're gonna take control to get what we want. We want to win, we want to boast. We try to teach sharing and humbleness, and, but little selflessness is actually displayed in our current culture. I mean, if we're being honest, a life surrendered to anything but yourself is almost discouraged. Every ad we see, the world is screaming at us, you know, like, think about yourself, succeed, invest, Promotions everywhere are like maybe sprinkled with a little like, oh, don't be a rude person and give to the needy. But really, it's be your best self, right? And if anything is standing in the way of you becoming your best self, it's probably toxic and you should probably get rid of it. I believe a generation has put control to try to heal some identity issues. And so you control your outcome and you write your own story, but this language that culture is using continually over and over and over again puts us in the seat 
of control. This self-love movement that we're kind of living in points within and it's shouting at us that you only win when you control everything in your life. And this isn't all bad. Like, don't get me wrong, people who set goals, achieve those goals, love themselves and have control over their lives are most likely really outstanding people. That's why the message is so loud. We want a world with great people in it. But there's a big but this morning. When we live this way, the idea of being submitted to God becomes very complicated. And it becomes problematic to see our need for a higher authority when we fill that place ourselves. We live in this tension once again. Do we be of the world or do we be of the kingdom? If we are committed to disciples, or if we're committed disciples of Jesus, we belong to an upside down kingdom. And so James is pointing this out over and over again through the last four chapters. There is a way of the world and there is a way of the kingdom. And again, we read these verses this morning with that tone. Control over your life boasting about your tomorrow. Church, we just can't look the same as the world. Where the world looks for encouragement, they look inward, we have a loving father. Where the world would say, chart your own path, we allow God to direct our steps. And when the world says, follow your heart, we say that we follow the way of Jesus. When we give our lives to Jesus, we choose to step down as the highest authority in our life. Maybe I'll say that a little differently. When we give our lives to Jesus, we should choose continually to step down as the highest authority of our life. I don't believe it's one day a decision at salvation. Galatians 2, chapter 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I li- the life I now live in a body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through law, Christ died for nothing. And in John it says, he must become greater and greater and I me must become less. As Christians, we proclaim this truth, all to Jesus I surrender. But today I want to revisit that truth and ask ourselves, are we living it? Because when we live boasting about tomorrow and we sit in this place of control, we're not giving ultimate authority to God. Are you tracking with me so far? here okay this is where I got stuck a little bit in my preparation this week because this all makes really good sense doesn't it there's God's kingdom there's the kingdom of the world it's like we've we've been in this message before we've been here let's just focus on God let's ask Holy Spirit to help us and let's try not to take back control I mean, that's, that's not a bad message. Those are all really, really true things. The worship team is so good. We'll just all come back up and we'll just pray. And this is good. 
But I sat in this struggle this week and I was like, but do we really give control to God? <laughs> like, do we really do this? Does everyone else in the world feel that same struggle? Our humanness, wanting what we want and wanting control, wanting a say. I think that we live out of this human nature more than we actually give it credit and more than we'd actually want to admit and certainly more than we desire to, I think. And so I sat and I said, God, why can't I, why can't we just give you control? Why is it so hard to daily surrender to his will and his plan and his majesty? And I wrote down these three questions and they're three questions that Christianity answers. But I felt the need to check in on these questions. The thought being, would I struggle to daily surrender to God if these questions were fully answered at the core of me? And they're these three. Does God have a plan for my life? Is life eternal? And is God sovereign? You're probably thinking, Kels, there's no way in 20 minutes that you're going to answer those three big questions with five verses in James. You better believe I'm not. <laughs> but I want to lead you to think. I want to lead you to this place of idea that this control issue, if we all have it, that maybe the answers to these questions could help us resolve the root of why we live out of that place. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> the question number one was, does God have a plan for my life? We all have plans for our lives. We want a certain career, we want this certain type of family, we want to live in this neighborhood, take this many vacation days, we want to spend our money this way, our time. We make plans for our lives and our future, and we ask God to bless those plans. James says it like this in chapter 13 and 14. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. James is addressing the people, and I love that, like, the now listen. It's like, hey, guys, in the back, you've already tuned me out, but, you know, listen in. You make these plans for what your life is going to look like, where you're going to travel, what you're going to do, and you say as long as you have, you say this like you have control over your whole life. See, James is not condemning these plans, which I mean, all of us planners in the room can kind of, you can exhale a little bit. His criticism is towards the type of thinking and planning that has zero regard for the plan of God. He's condemning this arrogant attitude that we have and think that somehow we have control over our lives. He's condemning the way that we plan out the details of our lives without any thought of God and then often blame him when things don't turn out the way that we thought. In reality, we have little control over our lives. And he says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. How can you arrogantly plan for this year and for the next decade of your life 
without asking God. We insert ourselves into having this authority that we were actually never created to carry. I mean, that could be a whole nother reality of like stress and anxiety and a sermon that I'm not preaching this morning, but we were actually not created to carry the weight of every plan and purpose for our life. It's easy to say that God has our whole life, but if we're honest, how much space do we leave him to interrupt our great plan? Or do we actually lay our life before God and say, this doesn't belong to me. So tell me what you want. I mean, maybe you're a nurse and you have this desire to be a nurse. Do you think that God created you with that desire? Do you think that God created you with that desire and he brought that up in you to be at the perfect job in the right city at the right time to build his kingdom right here and right now? I have this conversation so often as a pastor. Talking about where we live. or He's like, oh, well, that's because you're called to this city. I'm just a fill-in-the-blank plumber or what whatever. I'm just, I'm just a plumber. I can plumb anywhere. I can go wherever I want. Sure. But if God's called me to be a pastor in this city, don't you think that he could also call you to be a plumber in this city? Like, don't you think that he could actually call you to be a teacher in this city and a nurse in this city and a salesman in this city? Because I believe he wants to build his kingdom with you and me. We have to stop looking for our careers and our relationships and our desires to direct the path of our life. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to building his kingdom. And there is a place for you. And there is a job for you. And he has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. But if you don't ever ask him, how can he direct your paths? He sees our tomorrows. He sees what's next. And he is trustworthy. How quick are you to invite the Lord into your everyday decisions? Does God have the proper seat of authority in your life? Or does he only get to control one or two days a week? Do you fully believe that he has a plan for your life? Maybe this is the question that you actually need to wrestle with. Do you fully believe he has a plan for you? Or maybe it's the next one. Is life eternal? In verse 14, it says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. For all the control that we crave to have over our life, we cannot guarantee our next breath. That's how fragile we are. James says our life is like a mist. It's here and then it's gone. In John 10, verse 28, it says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my hand. 
in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, it says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Again, James says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James is trying to get us to see the truth of God's promise here, that the world will fade away, but his kingdom will last forever. Our plans and our our troubles and our decisions, they all matter to God. He is in the details with us, but again, he zooms out just a little bit. And if we could see the moments that we're living in the way that God sees them, we would realize that he really just wants our hearts. He really just wants our affection, not necessarily a to-do list of what we want to see him do. Is life eternal? Well, that's the promise of being born again. That's the promise of saying yes to Jesus. But living with this eternal perspective is really hard, isn't it? Our time on earth, it feels like the only thing most days. How much time do you spend thinking about eternity? Would we take our mission here on earth more seriously if we gave a little bit more time to think about eternity? How would you live different if you had a constant view of kingdom, the kingdom's heaven and its glory and its grace? Because if our life is just a mist, could we give up control to the one who knows eternity? Is God sovereign? In James chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We're so good at taking control and making plans, but often we give very little thought to his will or his sovereignty over it all. And this verse can sound so small. It's just a few words. And maybe it's just an issue of emphasis if it's the Lord's will. And if it is just empty words, then it really isn't a big deal. But if it actually affects our heart, then it's a really big deal because it represents the posture of our heart when we think about our entire life. Instead of, this is my plan, God, I really hope that you bless it and honor it and catch up with me. It's, God, I'm submitted to you, your will and your sovereignty. And I know that I have such little control. So if it is your will, I'm in. And if it isn't your will, I'm in. You have control. We can see that difference when we acknowledge and submit to the sovereignty of God. But thinking about this sovereignty can be really intimidating, can it? (laughs) 
but really it's just aligning our hearts, realigning and resurrendering to know that God is God. But I'm usually so concerned about my comfort. <laughs> That's usually why my human nature likes to take control. Like this is so silly, but like I brought like three pairs of shoes to I Love My Church Day because I wanted to make sure I was prepared for whatever I was gonna get asked to do. Jason laughed at me as I carried all my shoes out to the car. I like to be comfortable, right? I like to have what I need. I like to grasp control over things because I want to know that I will be comfortable, that I will be all right, that I will be taken care of. But God is more concerned about my soul than he is about my comfort. In Luke 19, 10, it doesn't say that the son of man came to make me comfortable. It doesn't say that the son of man came to make sure that I had the right job or the right career or the right marriage or moved to the right province. In Luke 19, 10, it says that the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And at whatever cost of his freedom and his comfort, the will of Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And he did. In ultimate sacrifice, he saved us from our sins. And he says, go and do the same. Why? Because God's love for you is never ending. Because God's plan for you and your soul is good. Because his kingdom is advancing. In Colossians 1 verse 16 it says, For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In Jeremiah 32 verse 17 it says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. God knows all things, past, present, and future. There is no limit to his knowledge. And he knows everything completely before it happens. God can do all things. He can accomplish all things. Nothing is too difficult for him in my life, in your life, and throughout the whole world. Whatever he does, nothing is impossible for him. The sovereignty of God, it should not lead us to fear. The sovereignty of God should lead us to worship knowing that our hearts are cared for, that our soul is free, and that his love for us is never ending. We love to plan and prepare and boast about tomorrow. And the last couple verses of this passage, James with his little sharp sword makes this really clear to our attention. In verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So Kels, why does this all matter so much that you're asking these huge, big theological questions? Because it's sin. 
When we boast about our life, we become the God of our own destiny. And James actually just says, he's like, you're, you're arrogant and evil. James is uncovering a form of pride here that many of us have, but we don't even know or realize it. We often think about sin as just not doing the things that scripture prohibits. And that is, so let's not erase that for this morning. But most days we can check off the box of do not murder. And most days we can check off the box that we, we didn't steal and that we, you know, hopefully we didn't gossip. And we can go through these things. But James is saying sin is not just giving into temptation, but it's resisting the will of God. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. If anyone knows the will of God for their life and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. If anyone knows that they're supposed to heal that specific relationship or give to something that God has highlighted or go and help a certain person because God's told you to do that and you don't do it, it's sin for you. And when we sin against the will of God, No one can keep you accountable to that sin but you and Jesus. Because what Joel's called to, I might not be called to. And what Jana's called to, I might not be called to. And what's true for them, what God has given them on mission to do is their responsibility. And this is a daily challenge. And why I think that repentance needs to be a part of our everyday spiritual disciplines. We need more confession and repentance in our life. We need more confession and repentance because this is a daily struggle to give God control. Authority is one in moments, but daily I fail at obeying the very will of God every day. And so we need more confession and repentance to confess our sin, to point it out, to acknowledge it before God, but also repentance requires that action to turn around and do something different because sin is a big deal. Sin keeps us separated from God. Controlling our life keeps us separated from God. So those are the questions that I sat with this week. If I trusted fully that God has a plan for my life, would I panic when things don't go as planned? If, etern- if life was really eternal, if I truly believed that life was eternal and I lived with eyes set on a coming kingdom, would I really struggle as much with the things that God's asked me to do? And if I lived every day out of that truth that God is sovereign and that he knows all and he's in all, would it be easier to give the one with all the answers control over my life? I'm going to invite the worship team to come as we begin to close today. For some of you today, like me, you 
put some pieces together right away. It was loud and clear. You know exactly where you need to resurrender control over your life to God. For others, today's message might have felt like it opened something up that might require a little bit more attention. I want to remind you that Philippians says that work it out. There's no shame, there's no wrong in in working out the things of our faith. We're actually supposed to do it. And sometimes these big questions of faith, sometimes these truths of handing over all control of our life will not be cleaned up, tied up with a bow in three minutes of worship. They just won't. But I believe that you desire to do more with your faith than just show up on a Sunday morning. And so take a few minutes. Don't leave that tension here. Write some thoughts down and get to a place where your faith feels strengthened and your faith feels refreshed. I said this earlier, and I just want to repeat it right now. It's uh, the sovereignty of God shouldn't lead us to fear. We shouldn't get to this place where we feel unsure about saying yes to him. It should lead us to a place of worship and awe and honor. So that's why we choose to respond in worship today, in surrender. Because God cares for you. He cares about you. And he cares about the plans for your life. And he does care about your career and your family and your neighborhood and all of those things. He has good gifts for you. And he wants to do good things in your life. But we need help in this. Surrender. We need help in this. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Church, let's just stand just for a moment as we prepare our hearts to worship. Maybe even just close your eyes and just give yourself some space to think. What area of your life have you yet to give God control? Maybe it's your finances or your career or your marriage or what you do for fun or while you rest? Do you believe that he has a plan for your life? Do you believe that your life is eternal once you've said yes to Jesus? Do you believe that he is sovereign over all things? I don't know where you're at in your journey, but I do know that it's God's heart that we would take a step towards him. So let's pray before we worship. God, we thank you. We thank you that your heart is for us. We thank you that you know us individually. And God, I thank you that you can dissipate fear and anxiety in a moment. So Holy Spirit, as we lay our lives before you in this space, would you speak? 
Would you help us see, God, where the root of this insecurity in you comes from? God, would you help us see that you have a beautiful and glorious redemptive plan for this coming kingdom and that this earth is fading away, but God, that we are called here and now to take hold of your kingdom and to do your work. So God, would you prepare us for that? Would you help us step into that? Would you help us see the part that we have to play today and tomorrow? God, would we not boast in that arrogance that we've got it all sorted? But would we see our need for a savior today? Would we see the need for King Jesus today? We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.